We're looking today at um, New Life in Christ. It's a new year, so um, we're going to have a walk through the Bible and um, look at some uh, key verses, I think. But uh, uh, let's pray for the, the new year. Let's lift this time to the Lord. Now, we do pray, Lord Jesus, that we would really understand this word that you've given us, this wonderful, wonderful gift of your word that we would be able to understand what you're telling us through it, Lord. And we do thank you for the year that's passing, uh, almost over. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to be with us as we face the future. And Lord, that you would help us daily to live our lives for you. We do pray, Lord, that we would really understand these scriptures that I'm bringing this morning, myself included, Lord, that you'd speak to us and help us to see what we need to do in our lives to bring glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so as we approach um, in one week's time and less um, the new year, I thought it would be um, appropriate to consider various aspects surrounding new life in Christ. Over the previous months, again for the sake of our visitors, Um, We've been seeking to develop a closer relationship with Jesus and with each other um, here in this um, fellowship. And some of the topics that have arisen um, during that time being preached about are um, as simple or as as early, if you like, as being born again, um, walking in the spirit and not just um, walking the talk, uh, but um, sorry, walking the talk, not just talking the talk. Uh, We've been looking at um, feeding on Jesus. We spoke about um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood and that that meant actually discovering more about um, a deeper relationship with Jesus, looking at the word and um, a deeper relationship with the the triune God. So that's what we've been doing. And um, all of these things necessitate us making an investment in God's kingdom. And that investment is usually our time. In the secular world, if we have some spare cash, say, and we want to see it grow, we invest it hopefully wisely and expect to see a return on our cash in the shape of added interest to that account. (coughs) Our pot of money grows. And to make things simple, let's ignore inflation. I'm an accountant, so I could be talking to you about this for, I don't know, two hours if you like, but let's just ignore inflation, keep it simple. So we invest our money um, wisely, it grows, we get interest on on the account. If we have spare cash and do nothing with it, the least that happens is that the fund is static and doesn't get any bigger. Now, if we think about our spiritual lives and apply that principle, especially in respect of time, the more time we spend or invest in studying God's word, the more we will grow in our love, our knowledge, our faith and our obedience to Jesus. We get a fantastic return from our investment of time. If we, spend, if we fail to spend real quality time with Jesus and the things of his kingdom, just as if we didn't invest our money 
if we just sat on our cash pile, if we don't spend time with Jesus and the things of his kingdom, we will stagnate. We could even be tainted by the world's systems and standards and we could even become backslidden. So what each one of us has to do is, and this I'm sorry to be... um, uh, I don't know what the word is actually, but um, remindful of our first meeting, our inaugural meeting of Gateway four years ago, Tom said, we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto us. So that was four years ago, uh, come this March, that Tom uh, spoke about that. We have to surrender our lives entirely to Jesus, who has bought us at a price and allow his Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us. We need to appropriate all the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit has planned for our lives. So how do we do this? How do we appropriate what God has got for us? Much of what we do and achieve as Christians revolves around obedience to God, love of God and faith in God. We saw that especially in the, uh, the John's letters that I spoke about. And these th- three things will be behind some, if not all, of the scriptures that we're going to have a look at. So, as we approach the new year, let us remind ourselves what our new life in Jesus should look like. We'll start with the words from um, Jesus in John 5.24, if you wanted to turn there. We're going to be flicking a- around quite a few scriptures So I'll I'll pause every time I give you a scripture and you can find it or not, up to you. John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24. So Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And um, this reminded me, that phrase actually reminded me of a book called From Death to Life. I think it was um, about the life story of Haslam, of Reverend Haslam, who was converted by his own sermon um, in his own pulpit and all the, all the congregation cheered. He'd been a vicar for 25 years and the penny suddenly dropped when he was speaking about moving from death to life. Anyway... The present tense used in this verse implies that eternal life or living with God forever begins when we accept Jesus as our saviour. So we have this life now. We still face physical death, but when Christ comes again, our bodies will be resurrected to live forever. And you can study at home 1 Corinthians 15. And Jesus talks about this new life now in the passage from John's Gospel about the true shepherd. If you want to turn to John 10.10, you probably know most of these verses by heart, actually, or, or, or bits of them. You might not know it verbatim, but um, they're very popular verses. So John 10.10, the thief, and he's talking about the devil, does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God's plan from the beginning was for man to have a prosperous and abundant life. 
And here Jesus says he will recover and restore to man the father's intent and block the devil's intent to hinder our receiving this abundant life. Now, sticking with John, but this time in his first letter, um, he talks about one of the the characteristics of this new life in Christ. Uh, 1 John 3.14, we're looking at, similar words, or some of the words are similar to what we've just read in John 5, verse 4. So that's 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So John is saying here that a lack of love indicates that one really is spiritually dead. They've never been born again. I think that's the sort of text or the uh, context in which John was speaking. How can they have been born again if they don't love their brothers whom they've seen? Um, When we are born again, love is the evidence of it. Love has no part in causing us to be born again. Only, as Tom's already said, only our belief and trust in Jesus as the Son of God will enable us to be born again and to love our fellow believers as family, all as children of God. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, repent and believe that he died for our sins, and the sins of the whole world for that matter, upon the cross, He rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, then it's possible for us to be, in Paul's words, a new creation. And we've sung about this, haven't we, today? 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is a verse that we should all know, really. In fact, this whole passage is about the reconciliation of God and man, isn't it? So it's um, taken a bit out of context. (laughs) Anyway, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it's important to grasp the depth of the meaning of this verse. Christians are brand new people on the inside. The Holy Spirit has given us new life and we are not the same anymore. We are not reformed or rehabilitated, or re-educated, but we are re-created. Now, being new creations in Christ gives us the following benefits. In Christ, we are secure from God's judgment against sin. In Christ, we're reconciled to and accepted by the Father God, because we believe in his only Son, with whom he is well pleased. In Christ, we are assured of resurrection to eternal life. This is very important. In Christ we become like him, or we should become like him, or in Peter's words, partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 that is, I'm not going to read it now. but um, Now this last point, becoming like Jesus, is mind-blowing, but extremely important. Just think about it. How much like Jesus are we? Right, it's important because, as I said earlier, we are brand new people on the inside, but we are still in our old body of sin and capable of sin. Now, at this point, you may remember Peter's talks on Romans. 
I suggest you, re, uh, you listen to those again um, when you get home, if you've got them, or read chapters 6 and 7 of Romans. This all talks about um, our fight with sin, really. For the time being, let's just remind ourselves of what John says in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, where he's writing to believers, remember. So 1 John 1, 8 and 9, again, it's something that we should really remember this verse. Especially if you come from the Church of England and you've done the communion service regularly. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, having said that, being partakers of the divine nature is mind-blowing because it is the will of God for our lives. He wants us to be exactly like Jesus. Well, exactly as we can be. We see this by turning again to Paul's letters. Now, in writing to believers, Paul speaks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. If you'd like to turn to um, Colossians, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We have to be conscious of our behaviour, don't we? It doesn't just all come automatically. We have to um, work with the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him, that is Jesus, who created him. In other words, we must put off any remaining sinful desires or deeds and be continually renewed into the Christ-likeness to which we are called. God's plan is that believers become progressively more like Jesus. In similar words, Paul writes to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, in chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And here righteousness and holiness are both characteristics of God to which we are being called. And this is sometimes something that we miss, or something that I missed for years in my life. I was born again, but I didn't realise I was born again for righteousness and holiness. We can waste a lot of time in our lives, our Christian lives, if we don't realise that. Now, to um, continue and increase, so to speak, in this new life in Christ, Having been born again and made new creations, what do we have to do with the old man or the old self? And I'm going to draw on Paul again, no surprise there, for the answer to that question. Jesus is, of course, our ultimate example, but Paul um, himself charged the Corinthian believers to imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. But I'm not going to use that. The answer to what to do with the old man or self um, from another letter of Paul's, the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. I'll let you turn there. How do we get rid of the old man or the old self? 
Galatians 2, 20 and 21. Okay, so I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So when a person believes and trusts in Jesus for their salvation, they spiritually enter into the crucifixion, resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The crucifixion and the resurrection reveal Jesus' victory over sin and death. Jesus died, so did Paul, so did we. Jesus was resurrected, so was Paul, so are we. The resurrection life, or the new life that I spoke about in the beginning, we are now living, we live through the presence of the Lord Jesus living within us. In our daily life, we must regularly crucify any sinful desires that keep us from obeying and thus loving Jesus. Now, I purposely quoted verse 21 of Galatians 2 there, just to remind us of the context of Paul's writing. He was actually refuting the erroneous logic of the legalizers who thought they could earn their salvation by keeping the Mosaic law. They thought this noble and praiseworthy, whereas Paul points out quite rightly that it is only by God's grace that we are saved through faith in Christ's work upon the cross. We need to come humbly before our most gracious God. So having touched upon the resurrection life or new life, in looking at the last scripture, let's explore a little more by looking at Romans 6.4. I think Peter's covered this as well, if I remember rightly. But we go over it again. Fantastic verse, this. Lots of, lots of meaning in this. Romans 6, verse 4. Okay, so Paul says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And the first thing to say of this verse is that the glory there of the Father means the power. Therefore, Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Father, even so we also, also should walk in newness of life. Now hold that in your minds for a while and we'll come back to it shortly. Secondly, the verse quoted begins, therefore, which means that that which preceded it is relevant. So we need to have a quick look at that. Verse 3 talks about being baptised into Christ and is used by Paul in a metaphorical sense. Paul effectively says, by placing a saving faith in Jesus, all Christians are spiritually immersed into the person of Christ. We are identifying with him and united to him in verse 3 in respect of his death and in verse 4 in respect of his resurrection. So verse 4 says that we are united by faith to Jesus. His death and burial become ours. And similarly, just as Christ is raised, we are united to him in his resurrection.
We have put to death our old self and there is a new quality and character to our lives. Now, returning to Jesus being raised by the power of the Father, that is exactly what enables us to walk in newness of life, God's Holy Spirit within us. This is what uh, Paul is talking about in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1. Let's look at verses 17 to 20. Ephesians 1, 17 to 20. And we're going to be looking at, um, when we get to verse 19, just think in your minds what that really means. It's a most, um, well, extraordinary verse. Mind-blowing again. It's the best way of describing it. So Ephesians 1, 17 to 20. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, there's so much in those four verses there, but as I say, I really wanted to emphasise verse 19, which tells us that this very same power of God, which raised Jesus from the dead, is available to us to enable us to live our new resurrection lives to the glory of God. So we've got no excuse really, have we? If that power is available to us, if we are surrendered to Jesus, this is a mind-blowing verse. There's nothing we cannot do. I think um, Pab said, um, with God everything is possible, nothing is impossible. Just quickly on those other verses, some of the things that are mentioned, um, I said that the whole passage, the the whole four four verses, talks about God giving us wisdom and revelation, that we know, know him better, that we have insight, that we may appreciate the greatness of hope, riches and inheritance that we have in Jesus. Now I mentioned earlier that when a person believes and trusts in Jesus, for their salvation, they enter spiritually into the death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus. We've dealt through those scriptures with the death or crucifixion and also with resurrection. So I'd like to conclude now with a couple of scriptures concerning our spiritual ascension and the heavenly realms. So we turn to Ephesians 2 verse 6 says here, God raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And the tense of the verbs raised and made indicate that once we put our trust in Jesus, we are given God's power now. We are dead to sin and alive to righteousness through Christ's resurrection, but we also share in Jesus' exaltation to glory in the heavenly places. Now turn to Colossians 3, and we look at 1 to 4. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, 
seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In verse 1 of this passage, seeking the things which are above can be summarised as seeking all of the manifold blessings of Christ that are available in Jesus. And you can read about some of those in um, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. A wonderful passage. Um, actually, I don't know if you want to turn to it, but I've, I've printed this out here. I was just going to read some of those blessings, amazing list of blessings that we enjoy. Um, it says, for example, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heaven, heavenly places. He chose us in him. We should be holy and without blame. We've been predestined as, um, to adoption as sons. He made us accepted in the beloved. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. He's made known to us the mystery of his will, that uh, we might be gathered together in one, all things in Christ, that we've obtained an inheritance, inheritance, we're predestined according to the purpose of God, we're made for his praise and glory, we've heard the word of truth, hopefully we've understood it and taken it on board and worked it out in our lives, the gospel of our salvation, that's what we're talking about now, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's the guarantee of our inheritance, and with the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You could um, meditate on that passage for a whole morning, I should think. Wonderful passage of scripture, Ephesians 1. Okay, let's go back to Colossians, Colossians 3, that we were looking at. Um, we need to make sure that our whole outlook on life centres on Jesus and that our allegiance to him takes precedence over all earthly allegiances. We're thinking about the things of heaven. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God is a metaphor for the place of supreme privilege and divine authority. So setting our minds on things above verse 2 means that we should consider things from an eternal point of view rather than a temporal point of view. And you may remember that Tom encouraged us to try to see things from God's perspective, which is another way of seeing, saying this, I suppose, rather than man's perspective, from a heavenly rather than an earthly point of view. This is what we need to do. Earthly things include such as wealth, worldly honour or status, power, pleasures and the like, commercial Christmases, and we need to have a Christ-like attitude to all such as these. In verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God has the meaning of our life in Christ being concealed and safe. And this is not only a future hope, but an accomplished fact right now. 
This expression confirms that believers are united spiritually to the Father and the Son. And the world cannot understand the full meaning of the believer's new life because it's spiritually discerned. We read that in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. Believers are eternally secure, protected from spiritual enemies and have access to all of God's blessings. Another passage, remember Romans 8, 31 to 39, that um, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And verse 4 of this Colossians passage again reminds us that Jesus gives us power to live for him now and he gives us hope for the future. He will return and we will be with him. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the indescribable gift of your son Jesus. We praise you that we have new life in him. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to surrender our lives fully to you. We just can't understand the the immense power that's available to help us live our lives the way you want us to. Help us, Lord, each day to draw closer to you. Help us, Lord, to make that investment of time and read your word, for it's the best way to get to know you, I think on a personal basis, Lord. Help us, we pray, to invest in your word, invest our time in your word, and reap the benefits of a life in Christ. We do pray this, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.